Malachi chapter 3, 16 to 18, especially now verses 17 and 18. My own possession. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Amen. Last time we covered verse 16 on fearing the Lord and speaking to one another. Because we do fear the Lord, we discuss it, we talk about it, we praise God for it, we ask about what it means, we seek to pursue a godly and holy life. The Lord gives attention to such people who fear him in faith and repentance. He gives attention to them, he hears their prayers, he writes their names in a book, the book of life, the book of life and the book of the Lamb of God. And it is only for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Those who are not fearing the Lord, those who do not believe in the gospel of Christ, those who do not honor him, esteem him, they are not written in the book of life, but in the book of judgment and condemnation. They will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Now, verse 17. He further describes the repentant ones, those who believed, those who fear the Lord, those who repent of sins. He says this of them, of his redeemed. Verse 7. And they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. They will be mine. They used to belong to the devil, John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. We used to be belonging to the spirit, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. We used to belong to Satan, and everyone who does not believe the gospel still belongs to Satan, who is a liar, he is a murderer, he does not stand in the truth. So they speak as Satan speaks, to speak lies for the purpose of murder. But not anymore, verse 17, it says, and they will be mine. Now we belong to the Lord. Now we belong to God. Now we do not follow Satan. We do not love him. We do not seek to do his will. We do not, we do not even seek to do our own will, but the will of God. Now, he calls us mine. They will be mine. We belong to him like a wife belongs to her husband. We belong to him as a treasured possession, which he will also say, I prepare my own possession. We belong to him in that way. We are his people. We know him and belong to him. Isaiah 43 Isaiah 43, 1 to 7. Isaiah has a few passages 
on this doctrine. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, You are mine. 43, 1. We read 43, 1 to 7. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabah in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. 43, 14, chapter 43, verse 14, 14 to 21. In 20 to 21, he calls us my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. 43:14 Thus says the Lord your redeemer the holy one of Israel for your sake I have sent to Babylon and will bring them all down as fugitives even the Chaldeans into the ships in which they rejoice I am the Lord your holy one the creator of Israel your king thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters who brings forth the chariot and the horse the army and the mighty man they will lie down together and not rise again they have been quenched and, is, and extinguished like a wick. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Chapter 44, 44, 1 to 5, Isaiah 44, 1. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, Belonging to the Lord. And will name Israel's name with Honor. Chapter 62, Isaiah 62, 1 to 5. Isaiah 62, 1 to 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet, until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation 
like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. These are Old Testament passages, notice. Old Testament passages which speak of the redeeming love of God, the redeeming grace of God that we might belong to Him. What matters in life is not our earthly relations. What matters in life is whether we are related to God. If we are married to Him, if we are His sons and His daughters, if we belong to Him. Nothing else matters. It's the Lord of hosts, as we already read in Isaiah, the Lord of hosts, the powerful one, the one of armies, He is the one who's going to accomplish this. But a day is coming, verse 17 says, on the day, on the days. What is that day? That day is the day of the return of Christ and the day of judgment. That's the day. The Old Testament speaks of this day many, many places, in many, many parts. For example, Psalm 1. The moment we open up to the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 speaks of the day of judgment. Psalm 1, verses 4 to 6. Psalm 1, 4. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. When? In the judgment. That means there must be a day of judgment. Psalm 9, Psalm 9, verses 7 to 10. Psalm 9, 7. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That time or day of judgment will come, and he will judge the world in righteousness. The wicked world will be punished, but the righteous world, those who believe in the gospel of Christ, they are the ones here called the oppressed, verse 9. In verse 10, who know his name, who put their trust in him, who seek him. 
verse 10, 9 and 10. He's describing us. We will be delivered on the day of judgment, but not the wicked. The New Testament also speaks of the day of judgment. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 31. The day of judgment is for Jew and Gentile. Like it said in Psalm 9, it's for the peoples, plural. The same here, Acts 17, 30 to 31. It's for the peoples, the nations of the world. 1730. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. This passage, it quotes our psalm. It's quoting either our Psalm 9, verse 8, the one we read, he will judge the world in righteousness, right there in verse 31. He will judge the world in righteousness. Who will judge the world? God, through Christ, will judge the world in righteousness. Psalm 9, verse 8, quoted here. It may also be from 96, 13 and 98, verse 9. There is a day fixed. Fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Also in the book of Romans, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 6. Romans 3, 6. But may it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world. God will judge the world through Christ. That day is fixed, so we ought to be ready. The people who belong to him, they are ready for that day of judgment. And he says in Malachi, further, he describes the people who are redeemed in Christ, I prepare my own possession. God is preparing his own possession. In what sense is he preparing, and who can we say are his possession? We first go to Exodus 9, 19. Exodus 19, 4 to 6. Who are his possession, and how is he preparing them? Exodus 19, 4 to 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Was the whole nation, the sons of Israel, were all of them his own possession? Yes and no. 
They were his own possession, physically speaking, because he delivered them all from Egypt. But were they all his own possession, spiritually speaking? No. He even puts a condition here. In verse 5, he's addressing the sons of Israel. In verse 4, he describes their deliverance from Egypt. In verse 5, he puts a condition on the physical sons of Israel. Condition, verse 5. If, whenever if starts the clause, we know it's conditional. You're not automatically going to be pleasing to God, God's own possession. He says, if, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. The spiritual component is the more significant, important, (coughs) eternal component. It has eternal consequences. Verse 6, if they meet the condition of verse 5, then... Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Just the tribe of Levi or just the family of Aaron will not be the priests. Who will be the priests? Anybody and everybody will be considered priests in the kingdom of God. And a holy nation. Holiness. Let's continue this thought in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 6. 6 to 11. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 11. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with them who hate him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do that. (coughs) The book of Titus, the book of Titus chapter 2, book of Titus, chapter 2, Titus 2, 11 to 15, Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 
It is in Christ that we are saved. And Christ and the gospel of Christ instruct us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age as we anticipate the return of Christ. And keeping in mind that he redeemed us to purify us, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a nation, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Chosen race royal priesthood, holy nation. These are terms and also people for God's own possession. Here, Peter, more so than elsewhere, he compiles all of those words, phrases from Exodus 19, 4 to 6 to tell us who we are. And is Peter talking about physical Israel or the physical visible church? No, he's talking about the true church, the spiritual church, the godly church, who were not a people, now we are a people. We had no mercy, now we do have mercy. Another analogy, another another illustration about God's redemption is, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Who serves him. A son who serves him. He'll say something similar in verse 18. God serves God, does not serve God. So first, the analogy of the son. God will spare us as a father spares his own son who serves him. What does that phrase mean? That a father spares his own son who serves him. Spare from what? Spare from the rod. Spare from punishment. Spare from any kind of pain, spanking, discipline, restrictions. That's what he means here. And why is it that the father will spare his own son? Because this is an obedient son. An obedient son does not need a spanking. An obedient son does not need the rod. Because it says here, his own son who serves him. If he's serving his father, he's an obedient son, not a disobedient son. And therefore, no punishment is necessary. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 7 to 9. Jeremiah 31, For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chiefs of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. 
Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remotest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child and she who is in labor with child together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of waters on a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. The Israel and the synonym Ephraim, Israel or Ephraim, synonyms of the same group of people who are in verse 7 called your people, the remnant of Israel, gathered from around the world. He calls them my firstborn, for I am a father to Israel. What? Well, why? Because they are the redeemed ones. The redeemed ones don't live in sin anymore. Therefore, he calls them by this endearing term, my firstborn. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 28 to 32. Matthew 21, 28. Not every son is the son who serves his father. Matthew 21, 28. We'll see an example of one who does and one who does not. Matthew 21 and verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of, the, of his father? They said, the first, Jesus said to them. Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. One son obeyed, the other son did not obey. The one who obeyed initially did not obey. He says, I will not. But what's the key? He regretted it. He repented. Initially in his life, he was disobedient, which is all of us. We're all disobedient until we repent. And when we repent, this is the kind of son that serves his father, the repentant, obedient son. We find the same in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. 15, 11. 15, 11 to 32. Which of these two sons is considered the obedient son? Truly obedient son. Not superficially obedient, but truly. Luke 15, 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. What's the difference, the main difference between these two sons? The one who returned, though he was wicked, he repented. The one who did not go away. He was obeying the commandments of his father in a sense, but not in the true sense. He did not have the right heart. And there's no way that he obeyed everything. No son. He says, I never neglected a command of yours. There's no son who is 100% perfectly obeying, uh, obeying his father or his parents. That never happens, but he claims it. He doesn't understand his own sin. But the prodigal son, the one that returned, he did understand his sin. One more place we find in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. At the right time, when we were redeemed by the death of Christ, we were adopted as sons. Adopted as sons. With the Spirit in us, that's how we are able to call on God as our Father. No longer are we slaves, slaves of sin and slaves to the punishment that we deserve for our sin. We are sons and an heir of God. In Galatians, the context is the faithful, obedient sons. Chapter 3, verse 18 of Malachi. Malachi three eighteen. How is it that we live our life, our Christian life? Malachi three eighteen. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. He's telling us that upon our conversion, upon our redemption, upon our justification by grace through faith in Christ, what is it now that we spend the rest of our life doing? What is it that we do for the rest of our Christian life. He describes it here as making a distinction, distinguishing, and serving God. Distinction between the righteous and the wicked and serve God. That's what it's all about. This is Malachi's way of describing, summarizing the Christian life, the day-to-day Christian life. Are we always making a distinction? Are we determining who is righteous and who is wicked? And once we do it, does that impact the way we relate to the people we meet? That should happen day by day. Also, are we noticing who is serving God and who is not serving Him? Who is truly, as a true son of God, serving God? And who is falsely doing so? Who does not serve him? Yes, Malachi is teaching us that these are the twin practices of the Christian life. Make a distinction and serve God. Find out who is and serve God with those who do. Romans 16. Romans 16 17. Romans 16, 17 to 20. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn 
and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We are supposed to keep our eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. We're supposed to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. That was Jesus' way, Matthew 10, 16. Jesus' way of saying the same thing here. Make a distinction. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. Be babes or infants in evil, but in thinking be mature. Don't be like children. It's hard for children to distinguish between good and evil. They don't do it as well as adults do. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 to 34. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Do not be deceived. Why? Because it's easy to be deceived. So he's telling us and warning us, don't be deceived. Be able to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve God. And don't be in the company of bad people. Bad company corrupts good morals. Avoid them. Verse 34, become sober-minded. Sober-minded. The drunkard is intoxicated and he's not sober-minded. But we're supposed to be sober-minded spiritually. A drunkard cannot tell if he's very drunk. He cannot tell if he's walking straight or not. He cannot tell if he's about to fall over. He cannot tell if he bumps into a wall. Right? He cannot tell. But those who are sober can. They can distinguish from reality and whatever is in their head. Contrary to the drunkard. So we ought to be this way and not sin. Have the true knowledge of God and not be shameful. Another place is Ephesians 4, 14. 
Ephesians 4, 14. It has to be said that Ephesians 4.14 is right before Ephesians 4.15. And 4.15 is known by many people speaking the truth in love. But it is distorted. It is distorted. It is taken out of context. Look at 4.14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Let's read 16 as well. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the power, working, proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we work together to maturity. We work together to be like our head, Christ, or to do what our head tells us. But we're not to be like children. We're supposed to be mature, not like children. Children are tossed here and there by waves. A little child cannot withstand waves. But a mature swimmer, he can withstand the waves. At least a lot of the waves. And he won't be carried about by every wind of doctrine. He won't be by the trickery of men, by, the crafty, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He won't be overcome because he is able to understand who's righteous, who's wicked, who's serving God, and who is not serving God. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 6. Ephesians 5, 6. We'll read 5, 6 to 17. 5, 6 to 17. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're reminded again not to be deceived by empty words. That means we need to know who is speaking real and true words, genuine words, and whose words are empty whose words are futile, whose words are vacuous. That's what we need to know. So just because we hear words doesn't mean it's true. We have to discern, distinguish who's righteous and who's wicked and not participate with the sons of disobedience. Don't be partakers with those who are in darkness. 
instead expose the darkness. Always try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Always be careful how we walk. Always make the most of our time. And never be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Book of Hebrews, chapter 5. How will we be able to do so? What is the tool that God has given to us that equips us to make a distinction, to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked? What tool has he given us? Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Hebrews 5, 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Solid food. The solid food of the word of righteousness, the word of God, the word of Christ, is our tool, is our instrument, instrument with practice and training to discern good and evil. We don't know definitively for our salvation the difference between good and evil unless we know the word of righteousness. We must know the word of righteousness. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, into the, uh, has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When he says in verse 6, he who knows God listens to us. What is it that we have that people should listen to? What is it that we have? What is it that we know? It's not our own wisdom. It's not what we think about anything. It's what God thinks about something. And how are we going to find it? In the Word. 
in the word of righteousness. Whatever is written in the Bible, the Holy Bible, that's how we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's how we know the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. The spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist who belongs to Satan. Malachi is encouraging us to press on in serving God in this way. Let's do so. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.